our biggest learning is that don't try to force fit a startup with a corporate or vice versa. Uh, why is that so? It's because a lot of times the startups that end up working with the corporates are startups that we don't imagine them to, to work with uh, that same corporate to begin with. Welcome to the Lost and Transformation podcast series dedicated to the complex world of digital transformation. We feature guests from large corporations, startups, consultancies, and more to shed light on the success factors around innovation, transformation, and adjacent topics. We share firsthand insights and inspiration from experts for all the entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, and anyone curious about digital transformation. Yiming is the managing partner of Tribe Accelerator, the first blockchain accelerator supported by the Singapore government. And he's recently been named as one of 30 under 30 by Forbes. We talked to him about the success story of Tribe and Ming's outlook on innovation in the blockchain space. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi, Ming. Good to have you with us on Lost in Transformation, and thanks for joining us. So for today's episode, we're curious to find out more about the journey and the success story of Tribe Accelerator. And let's dive right in and go all the way back to the beginning. How did the journey start? Yeah, so thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, so the journey started, I think, in early 2018. When I think at that point in time, Bitcoin was at the all-time high of 20,000. And a lot of people were saying, hey, is this technology a scam? Is blockchain just all about ICOs and tokens and stuff like that? Anything speculative, anything bad is always associated with the word blockchain at that point in time. So I think there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of greed. There was a lot of speculations. And I think from our point itself, we were like, hey, why isn't blockchain just seen as a single technology? Just like the internet, just like AI, just like cloud, just like machine learning and stuff like that. But why is blockchain being tied to things that are bad in a certain nature itself? So this created a lot of fear for startups that we interact with uh, when they start talking to corporates. And we really wanted to solve that. I think that was uh, really how Tribe Accelerator started. Mm-hmm. And the startups that you're working with um, that are participating, what can they expect as in learnings or during the time with Tribe? So I think because of that issue, we realized that there was a lot of fear and uncertainty with quite a number of corporates that we spoke with back then. And they were saying, are there really good startups that are utilizing the blockchain? Or are they just using it as a password? So what we structured as a program it's something that allows startups to interact with the network of about 40 corporates that we work with globally from like BMW, Intel, IBM, uh, Consensus, R3, like this sort of their partners, both in the blockchain space and in the traditional world to start interacting with startups that are using blockchain to solve a problem. So we, we come from a more problem-driven approach where what is the problem that you are solving? If it makes sense to use blockchain, then go ahead. If it doesn't, please don't insert the word in your pitch. So I think working with them and bringing on board uh, leading mentors from all these corporates itself and organizations, the experts, to really help us to redefine what blockchain means in the enterprise landscape itself. So today itself, the program, it's six months program, two months selection, 
and four months, really getting them to start talking to a lot of corporates that they have keen interest to work with on a global level, start testing out solutions, start getting more investments and traction on the product itself. So today we've accelerated about 29 different companies from three different batches within the last uh, one and a half years. So to us, that has already exceeded what we set out to achieve right from the start. Wow. Yeah. And for the startups that you're working with, obviously in the blockchain space, but do they need any specific requirements or what startups are you looking for in particular? So we look at companies that are probably at a stage of about pre-series A. Either they are they started as out as a blockchain company or they started out as a non-blockchain company already having product market fit, already having traction, revenue, but now wanting to look at how blockchain can make their business more efficient, maybe from a security point of view, maybe from things like authentication, food safety, stuff like that. So we've encountered quite a variety of companies from all around the world applying for the program itself. Yep. So those are the kind of companies that we work with from healthcare to food safety to mobility to secondhand car marketplace and stuff like that. So it's been an interesting journey to look at how blockchain can be applied to different industries. Yeah, yeah. So we've also seen like what kind of interesting startups you've had in the batches. Um, and you've mentioned the different uh, industries that they're coming from. Do you have a specific one that you can share what they were working on or how they were using blockchain in their space? Probably like naming a few that we see gotten quite a bit of traction. Uh, one of them would be Mighty Jacks. So Mighty Jacks is local-based company that has been around for the last seven to eight years dealing with limited edition collectibles. So they work with brands like DC, Marvel, Fox, Cartoon Network, Disney to produce limited edition collectibles. Take, for example, an Iron Man that is half skeleton, half uh, Iron Man uh, figurine itself. So what they do is they produce this pieces, art pieces, they call it, uh, at about two to 300 to 500 pieces uh, every single week. And uh, they only sell it to that number and they will stop selling it and they will stop producing it ever. So that's their business model itself. So for each piece of limited edition collectible, I think the max number is uh, 500 pieces. So what happens is the problem that they face when they start selling out this product itself it's when it goes on to the secondary market, people start trading. And once in a while, they will get an image from potential buyers and say, hey, can you verify that this is a real piece that I'm purchasing on a secondhand marketplace? And I think from a customer support point of view, from just an image, they might just say, oh, maybe the leg is a little crooked. Uh, I, I don't think there's a real piece and stuff like that. But can we use technology to really help them solve this problem and solve the entire pain point of trying to vet a counterfeit or whether a product is real or not, just digitally, just through an image, which is really hard because counterfeit products are getting better and better. So what happens is uh, we brought in GovTech, which is Singapore's uh, government technology agency. They have a solution called uh, OpenSearch. It started as an education initiative to help the students uh, digitize their certificate so that when they travel for overseas studies and stuff, uh, they can authenticate with a much easier process itself. So we brought Mighty Jacks and uh, GovTech together 
to look at how that same certification technology that GovTech developed can be brought into MightyJack solution to authenticate the toys because each toy can be tied with a certificate of authenticity. So I think that's something that we did. And today they are uh, inserting IoT chips into the body of toys to allow people to scan with a mobile application. Yeah. Wow. Interesting how technology can help with the identifying counterfeit and stuff like that. Uh, super interesting. Do you see a lot of potential for growing innovation in that field? I think definitely. I think a lot of times, like what I mentioned earlier, counterfeits are getting better and better. Today, if you go into a supermarket, you pick up a bottle of whiskey or wine, you'll probably ask yourself, hey, I'm paying so much, but is it really real? Like the bottle itself? Maybe in certain countries, you, you don't face that issue because you trust the government system, you trust the food safety mm. uh, regulations itself. But can we say the same thing for every country that we visit, that we pick up anything from the supermarket it's really from the source of origin and stated on the packaging. So going back to the whiskey example, can, can we say that every whiskey that we pick up from a store globally is really from maybe the, it says made in Scotland. Is it really from made, uh, Scotland itself? Or can some be fake that we, we really don't know? So can technology come in to solve problems like that? Can we add a IoT sticker, chip and stuff onto the packaging itself? So that this increase consumers safety when it comes to consuming food, beverages, and different forms of products that we ingest. Definitely. And now looking on the corporate side, what are maybe some of the prerequisites for corporates to be successful at matching with the startups in your open innovation approach? I think corporates, a lot of times, maybe for the last two to three years, since maybe 2015, 2016, around that period, they started out with a problem-driven approach, right? Which is maybe they come up with problem statements and then start looking at startups to say, oh, what kind of startups can fit uh, the problem statements that I have to offer? But I think the issue with that that we are seeing is that when it comes from a problem statement-driven approach, usually when a startup wants to apply for this hackathon or competition to, to bid for your problem statement, they are pivoting some form of their business model to tailor it to your problem statement. And it might not be directly relevant to their existing business. So the best startups in the market will usually not bid for these problem statements because they have existing business, existing traction when they go out for business and stuff. So why do they need to pivot their business model? Just to work with a corporate. So I think it's really at the end of the day, what kind of quality of startups do you want to attract? So today, we, we don't work on a problem statement approach. We let startups present their solution to all the corporates as long as they are within the same vertical. So maybe we bring a group of banks and financial institutions to look at some startups that are fintech related. And from the corporate itself, the innovation manager or the team leading innovation or as a sole business unit or part of any business unit, they will decide can I work with this startup? Is there a really use case for me to bring it to any one of my business units that I'm currently handling? So I think the role of the innovation manager is key in the model that we work because he will need to understand which he's probably an expert on what's going on with the company and what kind of solution they need as compared to dishing out a problem statement, which I believe is a little trickier because usually a problem with one corporate might exist with same set of corporates 
but sometimes it doesn't. So it's really a subjective and how clear the problem statement is. So I think this sort of approach that we are taking, we think that it's pretty positive based on the outcomes that we have seen. And so you're also working with a lot of corporates globally, as you mentioned earlier. So you're having demo days all over the world from Singapore to the US, the Emirates and so on. Do you see any geographical differences in how the corporates approach the innovation concepts or um, what kind of mindsets they have? I think someone mentioned that the only thing that is constant is change. And a lot of times corporates before this pandemic to the current situation that we are in, even till today, they are all looking at new innovations on how to make their business solutions better for their consumers, for their partners, for their clients, so on and so forth. So we believe that innovation will always uh, happen and they will always be looking for solutions. We don't see that much a big difference from a corporate perspective, like a global corporate perspective on innovation because they are all wanting to look at new opportunities and they believe that startups are nimble, startups can move faster, they can do more tests uh, at a faster speed. But I think what's different between all these corporates is that they have different geographic uh, requirements. So based on the market needs itself. So maybe like there's a food startup that we have brought to certain markets itself. They were looking at how do we track halal food supply. So halal food supply is probably more applicable in certain countries and less applicable in certain countries. So I think those are some things that we see from a geographic requirement perspective. Yeah, so the use cases then differ for the kind of solutions that they offer. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And now moving ahead with the current batch that you have at these difficult times, how has Tribe adjusted the collaboration or do you have any new methods in place that work well for you? I think we've fully transited to uh, 100% digital from running an accelerator per se. Uh, but we think that it's definitely positive. We still get the same kind of interaction. Of course, maybe the experience might be different, having a person physically in front of you to build up that trust as compared to digital. Yeah. But I think the program milestone still can be completed because a lot of the work that we do before demo day usually happens at the second or third month. So that's when the program is intensive, meeting all the corporates, meeting all the investors and stuff like that. So, so I think that per se itself, it's still positive. And we still see quite a bit of interest from the corporates to look at more solutions and even more so than before because today they are looking at how can I improve my supply chain? Uh, how can I look at new areas like telemedicine services and stuff like that? So I think those are extremely positive based on the feedback that we've been getting from the corporates. Yeah. Yeah. And you also mentioned you're now on batch three from since you started, which is now a completely new experience. Did you learn anything new or like what was your biggest learning from batch to batch, basically? I think our biggest learning is that don't try to force fit a startup with a corporate or vice versa. Why is that so? It's because a lot of times the startups that end up working with the corporates are startups that we don't imagine them to, to work with a that same corporate to begin with. And the reason is because a lot of times the corporate plays an extremely important role and corporate innovation managers will need to take on that role to start looking at what startup makes sense for my business itself. 
And because for large MNCs, they're just doing so many projects internally. And it's hard for a startup to really understand what they actually need because there could potentially be needs. Like one global insurance company came to us and said, hey, can I work with like one of your startup that is looking at authentication of products? And we're like, hey, like, aren't you an insurance company? Wouldn't you want to work with a fintech-related uh, solution? But they say, oh, as an insurance company, we do art pieces. We insure art pieces globally. So can your startup put the same IoT, put the same chip into my art piece so that when I work with global art houses, I can give them better security of the product itself and I can better insure my product and calculate my risk because now I have technology in place to track where the product is actually going. So things like that, we felt that, hey, this is quite like interesting itself. And that's why I say, be open. Uh, that's why we always tell new corporates that are coming in, be open, look at the startups. And if there's nothing that fits you, okay, it doesn't matter. Maybe this batch is not the right batch. But if down the road, there are more exciting companies, you just need one. It's like, a, to us, it's a venture investment. You, you just need one out of the 10 that aligns with what you're trying to do. I, I think that's good enough. Like, it, they're not here to come in to say, oh, I want to work with five out of the 10. Like, that usually doesn't happen. So as long as they're one that they're they are interested with, I think that's good enough. Interesting. And also next to the core business that you're obviously doing, you're also running a blockchain academy, right? With scholarships for developers. Can you share more about that? Yep. So we've been working uh, with a lot of these corporates and a lot of these uh, larger uh, tech startups. And they are starting to deploy more blockchain solution over the last two years itself. And their biggest problem for them is always, hey, like you mean, where do I find blockchain developers that are good? And a lot of times they come with a really high cost itself. And today is how do we train more blockchain engineers at scale uh, to help to feed the demands of the next three to five years as we move forward with the entire blockchain industry itself. And that's why we started this scholarship program where we work with different protocols, blockchain protocols, to train up uh, developers in the market itself. Firstly, to offer the protocol an opportunity to target more talents, young talents, to upscale existing developers. Maybe they are software engineers, maybe they are application engineers, but they want to understand more about blockchain. And this is the opportunity to say, hey, maybe test out my protocol. It's actually easy to use and easy to deploy solutions. So I think this opportunity is to match talented developers to good protocols itself. Uh, it's something that we think that it's uh, definitely positive and you are generating a lot more developers. So as protocols scale, they start building more dApps as in decentralized applications. So when you start building more of such applications, you need more developers to feed the demands of these applications to keep them going forward. So I think working hand in hand with them to set out this scholarship, it's something that we felt that was extremely positive. Nice. Has it just recently started or how was your experience with it? So we finished uh, the first batch of developers. We we're working with uh, Zilliqa itself. So Zilliqa is a blockchain protocol mm -hmm. that came out from the National University of Singapore. So we've been working closely with them over the last six months to develop this curriculum. We finished the first batch back in March. And now we are looking at the second batch itself and rolling out application. So for anyone that is interested, uh, 
feel free to reach out to us itself uh, for more information on this. And next to that, I mean, you're doing a lot of business on your core business. Then you have the Blockchain Academy and you've also recently launched the Singapore Blockchain Landscape Map, right? Which represents basically the application of blockchain technologies in different industries. What is that about? So we've been working closely with Singapore's IMDA, a government agency looking at uh, the growth of technology ecosystem in Singapore. So the blockchain landscape map was actually a representation or a brief snapshot of what Singapore can offer to the world from a blockchain standpoint. I think a lot of times people are always saying back then, before we, we did this blockchain map, people are saying, oh, there's a blockchain ecosystem in Singapore. But what does it actually mean? Like, is it really more like digital asset kind of companies? A lot of things people are saying, or is it only the banking and financial services that are using blockchain? Because those are the things that people often hear. But what about healthcare? What about supply chain? What about mobility? So we wanted to give a representation of what Singapore has to offer on a global scale of this sort of companies uh, that are revolving. So there's like global corporations, there's startups, there's investors, there's industry associations. So these are some stuff that we've been seeing over the last uh, one to two years. And we decided to put them all into a map uh, with the support of the IMDA itself. So I think that they received quite a bit of traction uh, for us yeah. itself. So yeah, we're pretty positive and hopefully we get to do it again this year. Super interesting to see um, in what kind of different industries actually blockchain is applied and yeah, maybe some you wouldn't have recognized or thought of. I'd be very keen to understand where you see the biggest opportunities going forward with everything that is changing right now and potential new use cases arising. Uh, what are you excited about for the next two, three years? I think the entire space of digitalization of services, products, and looking at new technology has rapidly accelerated with the current situation that we are in. I think a lot of people are starting to use digital solutions, payments, uh, remittance, thinking of how can I do more stuff that I'm traditionally been doing at the comfort of my home. So I think that shifts a lot of changes and that breaks a lot of barriers that we used to face. In the past, when you talk to maybe the older folks, they will say, oh, like, I can go to the wet market. Like, why do I need to shop at home? I can pay by cash. Like, I can pay by card. Like, why, why do I need to use this like QR code payment itself? That's one stream that we see changing really fast. And we think it's extremely positive. And the other stream is a lot of corporates, because once in a while, we get too used to our solutions. We get too comfortable with the work that we are doing. And humans are habitual creatures, right? So we often forget that there's always the next level of improving some solutions or some product for better user experience. So I think this entire situation that we are in right now actually accelerates the, the process of us going for more innovative solutions, using new frontier technologies like blockchain, AI, and stuff to drive more efficient products. Uh, more secure solutions. So I think that's something I'm actually uh, excited about. And probably three to five years when we look back at where we are today, we might say that, oh, this actually started the new wave of uh, rapid utilization of 
new technologies that are actually better for the global organizations that we work with. Are some of the companies from your first three batches seeing increased adoption or a better market because of the current situation? Yeah, good question. So one of our startups that we work with from second batch itself, White Coat, they are in the space of telemedicine. So today, they've been working, I think, seven days a week without much rest because the business is just booming. People are starting to say, hey, I really don't need to head out to the clinic. I can stay at home if it's a mild flu, fever and stuff. Like they can first speak to the doctor in the comfort of their home until the doctor prescribes to say, hey, you need to visit a clinic. And then they move on to a clinic. So I think the first assessment can be done at home without needing to head out to the clinic, to the hospital, which is already busy in such times. So I think that gives people an alternative and also their medicine can be correct to them within like 90 minutes and stuff like that. So everything is much more efficient. You can work at home while waiting for your medicine delivered to, to your place. Previously, the mentality was like, oh, I need to visit a pharmacy and potentially they have to wait like 30 minutes to 40 minutes sitting there just waiting for them to dispense my medicine. But today, with that, yes, they will take 90 minutes to deliver to you, but within the 90 minutes, you can do something else at the comfort of your home. Cool. Interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting outlook also on the innovation landscape and what you're doing at Tribe. Ming, thanks so much for taking us along the journey and super interesting. Thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lost in Transformation with our host Sebastian from Ming Labs. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe to our channel and leave us a review on iTunes. Join us next time for another episode of our podcast. Thank you.